He's wearing a Roddy Collins jacket. He's got his teeth done like Ross from Friends. He is looking, <laughs> ma- he, 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 he's looking magnificent and he's ready to go. Just for the pod, lads. Just for the pod. Download the OTB Sports app and subscribe to the GAA podcast feed now. With Gillette. Put your best face forward with our new and improved razors. This is News Talk. Yeah, you're welcome along. So Wednesday evenings off the ball, Joe Malloy with you. The Bryony Frost, Robbie Dunn case has made headlines over the past week. We will talk to Mark Boylan of the Racing Post. The verdict is due tomorrow. All the evidence is in. Verdict from the British Horse Racing Authority. So Mark Boylan will join us this hour and give us the lowdown on a dramatic couple of days. Wednesday Night Rugby, we have Andy Dunn in studio, which is always a good thing. And Matt Williams is going to join us from France as well. Heineken Champions Cup weekend ahead. Tara O'Sullivan talks NFL at 8.40. And then the great Gabriella McCoddy is with us after nine in the football show. It is a Champions League evening. We will ask Gab, are we embarking on a period of English dominance in the Champions League, the likes of which we have never seen? Or is this just another cycle? 53106, the text number. We're at Off The Ball on Twitter. Richie McCormick, hello. Hey, Joe. Will O'Callaghan, hello to you. Evening, lads. How are you getting on? English dominance in the Champions League, Will. Four of the last finalists, or four of the last uh, six finalists, all English. Uh, concentration of money and talent, the likes of which we've never seen. And it's a separation from most of Europe. Or they'll come back to the pack pretty quickly. Barcelona will recover. Real Madrid get their act together. PSG start signing a few uh, players who can you know, run around a bit as well. And Bayern or Bayern, this will all be fine. Look, it reminds me of 2008, a little bit watching BT Sport last night, Joe, where remember three English teams got to the Champions League semi-finals that year and there was an all-English final between Chelsea and Manchester United and it was to usher in a period of dominance and then that Barcelona team came for the next three to four seasons after that and look, it's very clear the three best teams who are left in the Champions League right now are the top three in the Premier League, Mm. but that would be to overlook Bayern Munich entirely who... You know, they had to get a bit of help in their classicer at the weekend against Borussia Dortmund, but they've been flying. Robert Lewandowski has been scoring goals all around. I don't think anyone would like to draw Bayern Munich in the next round. Chelsea potentially could if they slip up against St. Petersburg and Juventus win that group. And I think Paris Saint-Germain are probably going to be a different prospect the other side of Christmas. And in the Champions League, with the exception of that defeat that they took at Manchester City, they've come through that group reasonably comfortably, albeit in second place. I think it's not as clear-cut as some people think that there's going to be another All-English final like we had last season or like 2008. But it is fairly clear, I think, that the three best teams, Liverpool, Manchester City and Chelsea, are the three best in Europe right now. I think what just added an anecdotal flourish to the sense that England are so on top was the way that Liverpool beat AC Milan at the San Siro. This is AC Milan. This was a Liverpool side resting some of their frontline players who didn't need to win. And yet... It's worth saying AC Milan were missing half of their back four and another three first-teamers and were not in particularly good form anyway. So it's not like Liverpool... And Mignan made two uncharacteristic mistakes in yeah. goal, which led directly to the two goals too. Like, like Milan weren't really at it last night. It wasn't a particularly good performance from the Serie A leaders. But did anyone really expect that Milan were going to win, even with Liverpool a little bit weakened and with some young players playing last night? I think most people thought that Liverpool were going to go there and get a result. Mm. Perhaps the most surprising thing in that group was that Atletico Madrid pulled off the great escape by overcoming Porto last night by two goals to nil when they looked dead and buried halfway through this group. And yet Diego Simeone's side still get to the last 16. And I don't think too many teams will want to draw them over two legs despite the fact that they've looked below par this season. Mm. Even just glancing at recent Champions League finals, okay, last year you have Chelsea, Man City, fair enough. They're going to be there or thereabouts for a long time to come. You would think that's fine. The year before that, it is Bayern PSG 
neither of whom I think have wilted overly. Year before that, Liverpool beat Spurs. Liverpool are still very much here. Spurs, I think we can discard. And then you're into four Real Madrid wins in five years, the fifth year being Barcelona, and then the year before that, Bayern win, which is their second in the last eight years. They've won two in the last eight years. So I think there's definitely a degree, Richie, of recency bias and... You know, anytime a certain country are looking good, it's very easy to say, well, it's going to be like this forever. I suppose yeah. the, the one thing, the one thing which might lead you to be slightly uh, pessimistic if you didn't want to have English teams dominate is there, there is such a concentration of money in the English game now. And that does look like it's going to endure for a long time to come. Yeah, you would think, though, that those three teams, possibly with the addition of Manchester United, maybe just in terms of the club sizes, will be able to keep the others in England at arm's length, just provided that they're actually run with a bit of common sense between now and, and year dot. But what we have actually seen, regardless of, of the three English teams who've been doing so well this season, is like you go through all those teams and for us to come to the name of Bayern Munich and almost describe them as a the underdog of that pack that we've just named shows you the problem that European football has. Because you talk about a concentration of wealth, like the European Super League has happened. We have it here. We are seeing the same teams pretty much year in and year out at the business end of Europe's biggest competition. And it's not going to change unless something pretty, pretty seismic happens. And like what we're going to see more and more, of course, is the player power is going to come into it. And that you know, player concentration and wealth concentration is going to become even more focused because transfer fees for the biggest players are going to go out the window. We're going to see a lot more players in control of their own contracts, running them down. And then only the club's best placed to pay them handsome wages are going to be able to pick them up. So this is going to just stay as is, and mm. if not, get even smaller. And we're just we, like we do have the European Super League as it is. Like the group stage of, of the Champions League is utterly pointless and has been for for a while. Um, the only saving grace tonight, I guess, is what Group F, whereby all four teams can still go through. Or Group E, sorry, where all four teams can still go through. But like everything else is just. It's a, it's a waste of time that the group stages. It only yeah. gets interesting in the last 16 and then you can easily pick who's going to be in the quarterfinals and it's going to be like that for a long, long, long time as long as these formats remain. And I can sort of live with that. We're never going to go back to the 90s if we're taking that as the jump off point for the group stages in Europe. We're never going to go back to that. So if we say this year, who can win the Champions League? We have the three English sides. We have... PSG, although you'd have your reservations given uh, the lack of running in their front three. You'd have PSG, you'd have Bayern, and I think you would throw in Real Madrid, who aren't as uh, awful, potentially. And and just as a history there and a DNA and all those awful cliches. So that's six teams. Real Madrid, if they win at the weekend against Atletico, have got a really good chance of having La Liga almost sewn up by Christmas. They've got a Champions League specialist manager in Carlo Ancelotti and... Finally, some of their forward players, aside from Benzema, are starting to hit a bit of form. Vinicius Jr. looks particularly impressive. I'm not saying that Real Madrid are going to win the Champions League, but they are the type of team who could take out one of those English super clubs along the way. Well, that's the point. Like they've done in recent seasons. So that's six teams, legitimate chances of winning. That means from the late knockout stages on, this tournament is as good as ever. Like, I think, geez, six teams to be in with a shade of winning any tournament. I mean, how many competitions are there where six teams can win? So basically, none of the domestic leagues. Uh, you take the All-Ireland Football Championships, hurling the football, you don't have six teams there. You take NFL, you don't have, you don't have six teams there. Uh, give me any sport where there are six teams with a real chance of winning a competition. I mean, that's a fairly healthy return. So um, 
Well, I've raised this whole uh, prospect of English domination, Will, and completely undercut the piece with Gal Marcotti, I think, in the first five minutes <laughs> of the Gabby show. Tell has the night off. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think six yeah. is still okay. So it, look, it's not bad. I mean, would you consider there's six viable contenders to win the Heineken Champions Cup before it starts this weekend? No, I, would I would think most people would probably say a pool of three or four clubs there. Yeah, I would think so as well. Yeah. Talks. So there we go. We should start the news round. It is, as ever, with thanks to Gillette. Put your best face forward with our new and improved razors. You are starting, uh, Richie, with the now defunct Champions League, the pointless Champions League group stages. Pointless Champions League group stages. Chelsea and Juventus in a tussle to finish top of Champions League group H tonight. In St. Petersburg, it's now Zenit 2, Chelsea 2. Romelu Lukaku has uh, equalised in the past couple of minutes for Chelsea. Uh, Timo Werner had put them ahead pretty early in that game tonight. Uh, while in Turin, Juventus lead Malmo by a goal to nil. Moise Keane with that goal for Juve on 18 minutes. But as things stand, Juve going through as group winners, Chelsea and runners up. Both sides already assured of their places in the last 16. Regardless, uh, as are Manchester United, group winners already in Group F. They take on Young Boys tonight. A much-changed United team for them. Dean Henderson starts in goal. A back four of Aaron Wan-Bissaka, Nemanja Matic, Eric Bailly and Luke Shaw. In midfield, we have Donny van de Beek and Juan Mata with Jesse Lingard, Amit Diallo and Anthony Alanga all in support of Mason Green. Greenwood. Uh, meanwhile, the real drama in that group will be in Bergamo, where Atalanta and Villarreal are essentially in a head-for-head battle for a place in the last 16. Barcelona, meanwhile, hoping to avoid a group stage exit for the first time in 21 years. They likely need a win away to Bayern Munich tonight to prevent being overtaken by Benfica. The Portuguese side hosts Dinamo Kiev tonight. And as I mentioned, all four teams in Group G can still qualify with current leaders Lille away to Wolfsburg and Salzburg host Sevilla. I mean, that is an interesting Manchester United team. Obviously, they're already through, so he's giving guys some game time. So Dean Henderson, Wan-Bissaka back in, Matic, Eric Bailly as the centre-half pairing, presumably Luke Shaw back in after his concussion woes. Lingard gets a game, Van der Beek gets a game, Juan Mata. Welcome back, Juan Mata. Where have you been? You could kind of forget Juan Mata was at the club for a time. Ama Diallo and then Greenwood and Anthony Elanga leading the line are some formation of that variety. He goes with a 4-2-2-2 essentially does does Rangnick um, that's his kind of preferred formation so it's a slight alteration of what we've seen before but yeah it looks like Greenwood and Alango be those two Mata and uh, possibly uh, Lingard in support of those and then uh, Manich and uh, in midfield so yeah. Okay. I can see Lingard enjoying the 4-2-2-2 formation. We'll see how they go Will they're against Young Boys. Uh, young Boys away was one of the low points of this Oscar regime when they yeah. had a sending off and they relinquished all possession and dropped back into a back five and hung on for dear life they were really poor in the last 15-20 minutes of that game I think I'm with you on Lingard I think Ragnar could really like him Lingard is a player who is going to be very busy he's good at creating chances too I'm surprised that both Van de Beek and Lingard that the glass wasn't smashed and those players weren't brought in at some point late on in the Saucier regime and there are two players who you know potentially could get new life under Ralph Ragnick because last weekend we didn't see Cristiano Ronaldo necessarily pressing in the same way you would see Roberto Firmino but he started to cover space a lot better than he was doing in previous weeks so even with just a few days in the training ground it's clear that Ragnick is going to play under the philosophy which he has used up until this point and the players are going to have to fit into that system so intrigued to see even though it's a chance to maybe say right here are the players I didn't play at the weekend and the players who didn't get a chance against Arsenal go out and impress me in a game that's effectively a dead rubber at head mm. to young boys where realistically they should be winning anyway 
Look, guys, Fred has laid down the gauntlet. Go out there and do better than Fred. That's your team. The real test tonight is, is Aaron Rambasaka and Luke Shaw, um, because I don't think they've featured really in the last couple of games. Perhaps I think one of them may have, uh, but they, I think he'd be wanting to look and see how they can perform in his setup in a team that's weakened and with the you know the carrot of having to go through etc. Already taken away, he wants to see that they can put in a shift, put in a performance, and perform like fullbacks in a Ralph Rangnick team can do. So I think the interesting players to watch will probably be those two tonight well I hate to ruin the suspense but Aaron Wan-Bissaka ain't going to cut it in a Ralph Rangnick team where he needs width and quality from out wide so I don't know I'm keep enough rope Joe that's well, what I think he's doing tonight yeah so that's the situation at Old Trafford what else is going on uh, Gary Ringrose signing a new central contract today. The centre is going to remain with Leinster in Ireland until at least the summer of 2025, by which time he'll be the tender age of 30. Ringrose has 37 Ireland caps to his name so far and is closing in on a century of appearances for Leinster. News on Pele. Yeah, he's back in hospital, unfortunately, to undergo further treatment on a colon tumour. The 81-year-old underwent surgery on the same condition back in September. The three-time World Cup winner is in a stable condition, they say, and should be discharged, uh, fingers crossed, in the next few days. So, Johan van Gran isolating, was speaking to the media over Zoom or Skype this afternoon? Yeah, he's the gaffer uh, still, it would seem. He says some Munster players isolating following their return from South Africa could feature against Wasps on Sunday. However, the head coach has revealed that a number of that cohort have since tested positive for COVID-19. Munster are due to open their Heineken Champions Cup campaign in Coventry on Sunday. Academy manager Ian Costello has been overseeing preparations, but Van Graan insists that he will be picking the team for this weekend. Yeah, I mean, that was, I'm sure, very worrying news for those that managed to pass their PCR tests and arrive home and then subsequently test positive for COVID is not the news they wanted. Van Graan did say in his press conference earlier, Will, that there's nobody who is very sick, which is good news. As for the game, they have a very tidy backline because a lot of those frontline players stayed back and weren't in South Africa, so they've been training away. And then up front, they have Peter Omani, they have Tyg Byrne, and they have Dave Kilcoyne. And then there will be a smattering of some inexperience around those. All that said, I literally, literally have not heard a single pundit not say, do you know what? I ju- this may be crazy. I just think Munster might go and win. I haven't heard a single person tip Munster to lose yet. Yeah, look, sometimes when there's those moments of adversity, like Munster have been taking this in pretty good spirits too. I was reading uh, some of Peter Romani's quotes. It was a great one where he was asked about you know, some of the young players that have been training in the back row over the last couple of weeks. And he said he was playing beside a player who was born in 2004 and suggested that Keith Earls might be his dad. So young are some of the players that are currently in with the Munster senior squad. So look, there is a spine there of Joey Carberry, Omani, Byrne, Kilcoyne, who you're basically hoping that they can go into a big cup match against Wasps and can almost just kind of drive these young players forward like it's a huge opportunity for those that are going to come in the good news is that most of the players will have gone through their isolation period for the second game so at least it's not like what was first feared that Munster might struggle to get repatriated back into the country then have to go through an isolation period that would have cut down the time to prepare for match day two Mm -hmm. at least it looks like they might have to take this one on the nose go and try and eke something out in wasps even if it's a losing bonus point and then at least they can get back to relative normality for weekend two Mm. Spurs situation, Rich, not good. No, not at all. It's becoming a theme, actually, going through the stories today, that this is becoming more and more prevalent. And Tottenham boss Antonio Conte says the coronavirus outbreak in his squad has become a serious situation. Eight players have now tested positive, along with five members of his backroom team. They play Wren in the Conference League tomorrow night, while talks are ongoing with Premier League regarding the viability of Sunday's game with Brighton. Conte says the situation at the club is pretty worrying. 
Every day, every day we are having contact with the person that are, uh, are uh, false negative and become positive and then uh, uh, everyone uh, is a bit scared also because uh, I think everyone, uh, we have family and uh, uh, why I, I, I have to take this, uh, this risk? Why? And why? This is my, my, my question, but, and uh, I repeat, today we had the training session, we prepared the game, and then yesterday, and, uh, two other uh, positives, today, other two positives, and, uh, and tomorrow, who? Me? I don't know. Maybe, better, better me than, than, than a player, uh, for sure, but I think that uh, it's not, it's not right for uh, for uh, everyone because uh, we have family, and uh, we have contact with uh, our family when we come back uh, uh, to uh, to home. Uh, we have contact with uh, our family. So we don't know what happened. Yeah, that's a very humanizing comment, isn't it? <laughs> they're all earning millions. They're very privileged. Life is good, but. Uh sense there in Spurs I would think of going in and waiting to catch COVID and to bring it back to your family that's extremely stressful you could hear it there in his voice on the COVID front I keep meaning to I just today has been off the charts busy to watch Boris Johnson's performance in Westminster oh, don't you get a chance because the only yeah. clip I saw, the only clip I saw and in fairness like uh, the, uh, the neck on the man is impressive but the clip I saw was where he was reading the prepared comments and look it surprised Started nobody. With, yeah. It surprised nobody's going to absolutely throw his staff over the bus. So he was like, "Look, I think we're all furious to hear to <laughs> to see those people joking. I think we're all furious. I share your fury." And I thought, "I'm saving this. I'm I'm home to watch Newsnight this evening. This is going to be good." Yeah, Newsnight will be a bit. Of crap Don't forget, Joe. Uh, yeah, joking about this is yeah. worse than actually having a party. Yeah, Peter yeah. said we have the clip. Go on, yeah, hit me with hit me with bars. Mr. Speaker, may I begin by saying? that I understand and share the anger up and down the country at seeing number 10 staff seeming to make light of lockdown measures. And I can understand how infuriating it must be to think that the people who have been setting the rules have not been following the rules, Mr Speaker, because I was also furious to see that clip. And Mr Speaker, I apologise I apologise unreservedly for the offence that it has caused up and down the country and I apologise for the impression that it gives. My God. I mean, what do you think? Can you imagine living in a country, can you imagine living in a country where your opposition is so weak that you can't, like if if it was a general election tomorrow, he'd still win. The Tories would still win. Like that speaks volumes of where Labour have fallen in that country that they can't oust people that incompetent and that disdainful of their own electorate, like it's uh, it's bizarre, but it's 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 it must be sad for the English people to realise that Tories are a bunch of wrongins. Yeah, so quite a few former footballers are on the case. Gary Neville's really uh, leading the charge against it is cu- it is cut through, as they say, because well, you know, there's so, there's something so even if you have a passing interest in yeah. politics, this is not a policy issue that can be mired in mud and very complicated. This is just a simple issue. Basically, on the week that we told everybody you can't go and see your loved ones dying, Christmas is cancelled, we were having a knees up in Westminster. Like that, it doesn't get any more simple for, that's so digestible. And uh, I mean, I don't think it's going to cause a general election, but it's definitely going to hurt them. 
Anyway, <laughs> I don't think it will. It's like that. No, do you not think so? I think I think I think they're losing blood here. I, this one. They are, like, I, I, if they can hold on for you know another six months, uh, you know, to a year, that they're gonna they're gonna be in by comparative standards to any other functioning democracy, they're gonna be fine. They're gonna get through this mm. because they seem to be like look at the stuff they've already gone through. If if a Christmas party is gonna bring them down, then you know that country is doomed. Sometimes look, if a man can drive stuff. to a castle to test his sight. He can probably survive, you know, members of staff joking about having a Christmas party. Like, well, this is going to annoy people. The news cycle will just move to something different next week. The, the Tories feel like absolutely bulletproof at the moment. Even like looking at some of the fallout from today, it seems that Boris Johnson barely got a hand landed on him by Labour during the whole exchange. Starmer's yeah, uh, well, Starmer's struggling, yeah. I don't know. I think I think this one, I think they could be still explaining here in a couple of days on this one and this could drift on. Uh, sorry, I've just seen your next story. Why was this not top item? What the hell? You're trolling me. Last story, most importantly, of course. Yeah. Tiger Woods is going to make his return to competitive golf next week. The 15-time major winner is going to play alongside his 12-year-old son, Charlie, at the PNC Championship in Orlando. Woods hasn't played tournament golf since suffering that near-fatal car crash back in February of last year. Last week, of course, he ruled out a full-time return to the PGA Tour. 20 major winners and family members are going to be playing in Orlando next week. And Woods and Charlie are going to be two of them. Now we're cooking. I wouldn't get too excited. You can drive a cart around here so you don't do any walking and they will both hit off different tees and they can often pick Charlie's drive if they want. So this is as uh, as lukewarm a return as it gets. But hey, it's Tiger Woods playing golf on TV again so it'll be interesting well, to see. Charlie probably already out to review, Joe. Charlie? Oh my God, have you seen a swing? It's yeah, a, look it's, at uh, it's a, it's like side by sides of Charlie and Tiger Woods swinging a club and it's uh, frighteningly similar, yeah. So there you go. Fellas, we're out of time. We've covered it all this evening. What a what a trip. Richie, thank you. Nice one. Will O'Callaghan, thanks as ever. Will, cheers. Take it easy, lads.